0: I had a fantastic time with Shai today. We talked about what it was like to start college at 15 and graduate at 18 and how that has affected the way that she's raising her own daughter. We talked about mental health and the effects that that's having on particularly Gen Z in high school, as well as what it's like to launch a brand and go from zero to seven figures in revenue and hundreds of doors at Walmart. Uh, I think you're going to really like the episode today. If you enjoy the show, make sure to be a friend, tell a friend. Thanks, guys.
1: Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley.
0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Earned. Today, I am really excited to have Shai on the show. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
0: And Shai has been dealing with all kinds of hijinks for us this morning. We've upgraded our setups and i was i was severely behind so my apologies for for having this start so late
1: i'm i'm really excited to be here so i
0: appreciate it
1: <laughs> and we're good
0: well i can tell you the reason i'm excited that you're here i think what you've done over the last 16 months is nothing short of incredible um so and prior to that you had graduated college at 18 which i kind of want to dig into a little bit and started college when you were 15 i can cert- i can tell you that i would not have uh, done very well at that age in at school, both for maturity and uh, intellectual reasons. Um, and then, you know, since then, have gone through a variety of different things, you know, grew up in uh, Israel and then have now founded the brand Bubble, which you launched in Walmart last year. Um, and from what I've been told, is in the kind of seven figures of revenue already. And from an EMV perspective, you're close to $10 million in EMV, growing very quickly year over year. And so, uh, congrats, that's got to have been a whirlwind in the last year and a half.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a, an exciting year to say the least. Um, we've been enjoying every minute of it. Um, but to do to do you know to try to launch a brand during a global pandemic and with the fun elements of supply chain in the last year, it's definitely been a, a journey.
0: Is that kind of what's been most difficult about the journey? Is it the supply chain issues, or because I can only imagine, right? You go from because. You set your expectations, you try to plan, but you never know how it's going to go, particularly with a big rollout like Walmart. What what has been the hardest thing since you guys have launched?
1: Um, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I would say definitely supply chain has been a really, really big journey for us. Um, added in supply chain is just, you know, trying to scale a business really quickly. Our goal is to really become the standard for Young Skin um, worldwide, but in the beginning nationwide, um, which is means we need to do a lot in a very short period of time um and just scaling with a small team and you know with really trying to do a lot in such a short period of time has been has been definitely um a lot of fun but also a lot of different hurdles and challenges
0: yeah i think people i've heard people talk to me for a very long time about being kind of the next proactive right and you, you don't really realize how big that market is. Like it is a really, really big market. And I know that from when I was young, there are very few issues in my life that have been more debilitating or stressful than like my skin when I was like 15 years old, acne, whatever. So it's a, it's a big market with a lot of opportunity.
1: I think it's a big market with a lot of opportunity, but also a market that hasn't been, that hasn't evolved in like 70 years. I think the perfect example is Cetaphil just announced that they're reformulating after 70 years. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. It's like from an innovation perspective on the product side, on the branding side, it's been a market that has been stuck in the past in a really, really big way um the same products that my mother used are the products that are being used today and some of them are also the same products that my grandmother used um which is the perfect example for why there's such a need for innovation and also just products that are so much more backed in science and research because a lot has happened in science and research in the last few years
0: yeah absolutely and i you know it's hard for me to comment very specifically on the science element right so to comment very specifically on the the formulations but what I can say is from a communications perspective and from a marketing perspective, you know, as I looked more deeply into what you guys are doing, like you have gone all in on communicating with this particular group of people. Um, like one of the things that stood out to me was the like, hey, if you have a skin problem, text us, right? Like here's our number. And I was like, wow, like I'm amazed I've never seen that before, right? But that's kind of the magic of the internet is like you can connect directly with your customers in a very personal way while, they're in their pajamas in their bedroom and you're at your desk. Um, talk to me a little bit about kind of what the inspiration was there. You know, like how, not not necessarily that specific tactic, but all of the tactics, what the approach has been there. And then are there particular things that have kind of stood out or performed better than others?
1: Yeah. So I think it's been the last um, three years um, since we started working on Bubble. Um, we spoke to over 10,000 teens and Gen Zers. Um, The way we looked at it is they are so different than us. Like I'm a millennial and they're so different than me that the only way to really make this brand right for them is to involve them in the conversation and get them to be a part of the conversation and tell us what they really think and how they really feel. And if something sucks, like we want you to tell us if it doesn't work or you don't like it. Um, So, so research was rooted in everything we've done. So it started with focus groups. Uh, I personally conducted focus groups with 200 teens. It was in groups of eight, two hours at a time. So it's been a lot. Um, (laughs) And yeah, and like I brought like 50 different products. I was like, do you like this? Do you like that? What do you like about it? What do you hate about it? What do you currently use? It's been like hours and hours of just conducting research. Um, And then after focus groups, we conducted like a quantitative research with 800 teens. And then we created a community with 4,600 teens. And ever since then, like on a every two to three months, we research with at least 1,500 teens on various subjects that we're interested in. So if it's, it can be retailers, it could be marketing strategies, it could be celebrities and influencers, it could be product discovery, it could be obviously product innovation. Um, So that has been a part of everything we've done. And I constantly try to explain like to everyone because it's really weird to say that, but especially in, in 2022. But I, it's like, they are the decision makers. Like I don't think for a second that we know best. They know best. And we mm-hmm. listen to them in every possible aspect. Like we listen to them in product names to which products we should develop. And we have at least 50 community members testing our products before we approve them from a formulation perspective. Because the way we approach it is like, we're trying to cater for you we need to ensure that it's truly something you're happy with. And countless times we completely, you know, moved away from a certain formulation just because some community members didn't like it to the same extent that we thought they would. Um, so so it's root it's basically a part of everything we do. Um, so that has been a big part of like the text messaging strategy. That has been a huge part of skin school on our website because skin school on our website is essentially. Um, in our community, we had two rooms, a room for talking to our dermatologist and a room to talk to our product developer. We still have it today. And we took all the questions that they've asked our experts and just created a platform explaining all of that because we suddenly understood how much fear mongering exists in, in, in this industry and how much just misinformation and so many things that are just completely untrue and has nothing to do with the real world or, or with science or it's research that hasn't been really fully supported by a lot of, you know, scientists. So we took a really big approach into let's really understand what their needs are, what they're looking for, what problems they're experiencing and how can we solve it together with them to really give them the best possible solution. Um, So, so that has been a part of every strategy we did and, and, and every, every decision we made A big thing that is a part of the brand is um, the educational side. And we educate Uh in a very different way than most brands. Because the way that most brands, most skincare brands will educate is like, oh, this is the problem that you have. This is the ingredients that we currently have in this and this product to help you tackle this problem. The way we approached it is like, we educate you completely unrelated to our product. Like our goal is not to push our products. Our goal is to help you become a very educated consumer that asks the right questions. So for example, we constantly talk about the fact that parabens are not bad for you, that it's actually a research that hasn't been really backed by science. Um, uh-huh. It doesn't mean that we formulate with parabens because we would never formulate with controversial ingredients. Without being said, like we really wanna bring the true scientific evidence to everything, you know, that consumers are looking to know and looking to see. So our goal is really to make them much more educated consumers. So that that's like a big part of, of the strategy and something that we see as has been very successful and also something that helped us create a much more genuine and authentic connection with our, with our community and our, our consumers.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think, you know, the thing you're talking about, the, the story that's coming to mind for me was I was at lunch yesterday uh, with this guy named Dan. Right. So Dan, you know, has been in the radio business for 15 years. It's about our age, maybe a few years older. And, you know, you talk into the radio and you hear nothing back, right? I feel like that's how it was as a brand for a really long time. Like you put your brand product into the stores and then you're like, well, hope it was good, you know, and you do your focus groups and you do your, but you don't have this kind of direct feedback loop, this direct communication that is enabled today. Um, And I also think that from an expectations perspective, these kind of smaller or not smaller, but these younger folks, right? That's their expectation. Like if I'm not having a dialogue, a direct dialogue with this brand, or I don't feel like they're listening or I can't talk to them, then, you know, I don't feel connected to them, right? Like that is the expectation these days. And so when you're competing against a Neutrogena that isn't going to do that, right, is never going to, or at least not for a very long time, you can create some pretty significant strategic advantages as a, as a company. Um, I just love it. I think it's fascinating. Like I loved the skin school. I loved how you like educated on particular problems. And it wasn't like, oh, here's a problem and here's how you fix it. And here's the product you buy. Just like, hey, we're just here to like teach you, help you get better. Like we know this is a really confusing time. Here's some information to help you like understand it. Right. Um, I thought it was just fascinating. Like I loved it.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. And it's, it's essentially our goal. Like our goal is to help our consumers become confident in their own skin. And it's that's that's like truly the mission of the company. Um, so we see this as a part of so many things like this is the mental health aspects like this is the educational element and it's not necessarily about pushing our products like it's about truly helping them become confident in their skincare choices but also in their life and in you know with their mental health and also like I see this as a personal um, thing of like you know I was. I had very difficult teen years, as I think, as most people had, I think. Um, And I also have a daughter who is five and a half years old, almost six. Um, And I really, really want to help that next and younger consumer because there are so many things that I always, like, try to explain to our community, like, so many things that I wish I knew when I was 15 um, or, you know, 14 or 16. From breathing exercises to just understanding that everything is temporary. Um, and really, really, really being there for them while supporting them and educating them. So that's like a big core piece of the brand and in everything we do.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about your daughter and your your background just a little bit before we get too much more. Cause I have a ton of questions about bubble and what you're doing and what's working and not. Um, so talk a little bit about like College at 15, graduating at 18. I know you were like, you know, deep in the competitive chess game for a minute and you're training your daughter to do that as well. So I'd love to know like, should I be training my kids to do chess? Is that like how I get them to college at 15? How does that work? And then was that, and actually, this is kind of, it's a very unique question because I don't know. I've talked to people that, you know, did college very quickly or skipped a year or whatever, but no, they're never 15. So, if you could go back, would you do that again? Right? What were the advantages and disadvantages? Um, and yeah, just tell me, tell me about that part of your life—just kind of childhood through uh, through college—and then how that affects how you raise your daughter.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't think I ever talked about that actually. Um, so, i I was always like this kid who was an adult. Like, I never really knew what it is to be a kid. Like, I never. I always was always behind the book, like reading. I was super self-motivated um, in things I liked. It was really hard for me to be motivated in things I didn't like or that I didn't think I should do. But in everything I really liked, like nobody had to push me or ask for me to do it because uh-huh. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and, and I was just like a very, like I was really like a self-learner and hated to be in school. Um, but I was identified as like a gifted child. Um, and like, uh, very early on when I was seven or eight. And, uh, because of that, it opened a lot of different opportunities for me. And in Israel, like growing up in Israel, there's like this thing that they try to explain to you and to teach you, like, you have to do really well in school in order to get like really good, like really good finals and like, like, be, be really good at your finals. And then go to a really great university and then you're going to get a really, really good job. Um, And when I was 15, I had the opportunity as a part of like the gifted program to start my BA. And that was the moment that I finally understood that it's like the world doesn't really work like that. And everything I was, that I've been told is actually a lie because you don't necessarily need to do really, really well at school in order to do this. And like, it doesn't, doesn't really work that way. Um, Mm -hmm, And some people mm -hmm. are really, really great at certain things and are not necessarily perfect at all of all of the different subjects that they're learning in school. Um, And for me, it was like this massive revelation of understanding that I can do so much more and I don't necessarily. So I I just decided to do to take all my finals and all my exams from home. Told school I was like at the end of 10th grade, I told school like, sorry, I'm done. I'm going to focus on my BA now. And then I had an opportunity to like get my BA done by the time I was 18, um, actually be able to like also work and like get into the business world very quickly. Um, And also at the same time, like got all my finals done at home and nobody had to push me. Nobody had to tell me it was a really like, okay, I know I need to make it happen. Let's just make it happen. I studied before every final, probably a week before and just got it done. Um, And it's, And, you know, I think like it's something that was very right for me because I never really got along in high school. I didn't really found like my I couldn't really find my people there. Um, Mm -hmm. I was always so much more mature than people in my age. So just kind of found an opportunity to skip to adulthood at the age of 15. And I loved every minute of it. I definitely don't think this is something I would want my daughter to do because my daughter is, ve- is a very different person. Like she's a child that loves being a child. Like she's actually completely different than me and like loves very different things. She's very similar in certain things, but in that part, like I love the fact that she's a child enjoying to be a child and like not trying to become an adult very quickly. Um, And like, I'm actually like taking the exact opposite approach of like not trying to push her academically. And like, she loves certain things. Like she's very artistic. So like fo- focus on the artistic side. Um, but it's it's very much like the way I look at it is like everybody in the world has something. And I, I, I have like this massive passion for education and like different, like seeing how education is as a whole. And um, I, I really believe that a world that it's like work, right? If you love what you do, you're not going to work in, a day in your life. Uh-huh,
0: um, and uh-huh. I
1: don't think school needs to be much different. Like I feel like a lot of people could find the things that they truly love doing in school if the education system would have allowed them to do it um, and if the education system would have been really right for this. Um, so so that was like something that I learned early on and like I loved my BA. So it was very quick quick and easy process for me to do it. It was an in international relations and like I love history. So I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, but obviously it's not, it's not right for everyone.
0: Yeah, for sure. My co-founder also, he like, you know, graduated early, like skipped a grade, did that whole thing. And his mom s- took a similar approach, which was like, hey, if you're not into it, like you're not into it, right? And she, uh, but really let him dive into things that he was into, like, okay, well, you do like this, let's push on this. Um, I talked to me, I, I don't want to talk about the chess stuff too much, but I'm just fascinated because I remember, can't remember what's who it was that I was paying attention to, but basically it raised like three or four like chess champions kind of thing. Right. And just got him involved really early. Had like pictures of chess everywhere. Like it was a whole thing. And I know your daughter's doing that as well. You know, what was, uh, was that formative at all? Or was that, you know, you know, how how do you feel about that part of your life?
1: In a huge way, in a huge way. Like this is the kind of game I would recommend any kid to start playing because yep when i used to compete in chess i really learned how to strategize and uh-huh. i still do it in business today like i i i no longer play chess unfortunately like i actually when i do it's like doesn't i'm cuz i i i have like i hold very high standards for myself so like if i lose i'm like i feel really bad with myself but i haven't been playing professionally for like Eighteen years, so obviously, yeah, yeah. You know, I have the basics, and I'm still a pretty good player, but I haven't been playing really regularly in a very long time. But like, what it taught me, and I've been playing chess between the ages of like fifteen to twelve, and in the last few years, I played competitively, and it's like I used to do it for like you know, at the peak, I used to play like you know, twelve to twenty hours a week. So it was like this major part of my life. Um, I played at every given moment, um, and it was like the thinking of like, okay, if I do this, this happens and they can do that. And if then they do that, I do that. And it's just like thinking about the board and like trying to understand, okay, what is going to be their next move is mm-hmm. something that is a part of everything I do until this day. And this is why it's like, you know, I'm, I'm actually like with my daughter, I'm like, I really, really want you to play because... I think it gives you the right tools to so many other aspects of life. Um, And it's not just about the game. It's just like the thinking about strategy and the different things that how things could go wrong when you take a certain route. It's just so was incredibly formative for me. And like, I still think about it in every big business decision that I do today.
0: Yeah, I was definitely of the mindset. I can't remember who said it one time. They're like, you know, who has a lot of hobbies? They're like the barista at Starbucks has a lot of hobbies, right? And like, I took that dart. To i like, I'm like, yeah, like I don't have hobbies, right? Like I'm not a hobby guy. Like I don't, I don't knit sweaters, right? It's just not what I do. Like I don't, I work. I do this. But then um, I was sitting in a car, uh, so I was on in LA with an Uber driver. We're driving, and he asks me about hobbies, and I, you know, I don't really have hobbies. I was like, oh, let's really think about it. Like I'll really try to like think deeply about this. I was like, okay, what do I like like to do? I'm like, well, I really like, you know, like business. And right? I actually just genuinely enjoy the topic, right? Like you said, there's a strategy to it, whatever. And then to like that, I was like, I really like sports, right? So both playing and watching, particularly team sports. Um, so like football and whatever. And then I really enjoy like games, board games, video games, like all games. And I really thought about it. And it was like, for me, in all three of those scenarios, like competition really kind of led through that, right? These are all... It was all competition based, and people don't think about business in that way. But you know, you're trying to figure out, okay, I think this person's going to do that, and I think that person's going to do this, and if that happens, and I think I should do this, right? Like, and so there's this planning element. And um, I remember the CEO of Shopify, uh, which obviously is an incredibly successful company to say the least, you know, talked about like he's like. Video games are demonized, but he's like, I think they actually teach kids a lot of strategy, right? Like resource allocation, what are other people going to do, right? Like you're having to think about these things. Um, And chess, I think is that to potentially even more, right? Uh, Even to a greater degree, because you're you're thinking several moves ahead. And a lot of it's based on, okay, my knowledge of this person and what they know and what they're good at and, you know, what techniques are they aware of? And um, yeah, it's just fascinating. It's a really cool topic.
1: Yeah, I I could not agree more. So first of all, I love hearing what you said about hobbies because I always felt like I'm the only person in the room who has no hobbies. And it feels so bad because like, I don't do anything. Like I work and I spend time with my daughter like and like my life partner. Like I don't really have time to do anything else because the moment my daughter goes to sleep, like I'm back to my emails until 2 to 3 a.m. You know, like this is just my life. Um, Yep, yep. It's, you know, it's something that is really, um, has been really, really interesting to hear you saying that as well, because I I finally feel not so alone. Um,
0: But but I I mean, honestly, it is like, you know, and I think, um, so there's a kind of workaholic perception, right? Like, oh, they're just, you know, they do nothing but work. So there's that kind of thing. And I don't actually think I'm that. But, um, but, uh, oh, where was I going with that? I think that like work in and of itself like is a hobby, right? It's something that I genuinely Oh, that's what it was. I like genuinely enjoy it. So I was talking to my wife and this is maybe I don't know how many years ago, 4 years ago, 5 years ago. And you know, I'd say like, "Hey, I'm working really hard, but like I'm doing it for you. Or, like I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for our kids, da da." And then I was like sitting there, and I can't remember if she said something or I had said something, but I was like, "Am I really though? Like am I really working hard for you? Like I say that, it sounds nice, right? And like, yeah, maybe a little bit, of course, like I want to be able to like create the right life. But like, I'm doing it because I enjoy it, right? Like, it is a hobby for me. Um, and it is one of the most complex games you can play, right? Stakes are high. There's lots of different moving parts. You're trying to look at macroeconomic, microeconomic. You're looking at different players. You have unlimited choices in terms of what you actually do and how you spend your time. Um Yeah, it's like one of the most challenging games out there, really.
1: I could not agree more. I, I love it as well. And it's something that is like, you know, it's a big conversation with my daughter as well, because we're two entrepreneurs in one house and like completely mm-hmm. different companies, like doing very, but you know, for her, she asked me at some point, like, I think it was a year ago, like, mom, does everybody in the world has a business? And I'm like, uh, "No," and <laughs> it's, that's not really how real life is. That's kind of what you're seeing at home. But like, you know, for her, it's like a completely normal question to ask when I'm on a phone call, like starting the age of three, she would be like, mom, is that your investor? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like you know it's like a, a normal topic in our house um, <laughs> um and and she's very like aware of it um but it's also it's it's also like always the conversation I'm like I'm telling her I do it for you but then at some point she was like mom would you ever want to not work And I was like I told her would you ever want to not go to school and she said I, but i love it like i enjoy it so much and i said that's how i feel with work like i really enjoy it
0: yeah totally <laughs> um,
1: so you know it's uh it's 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 always an interesting topic i think especially when you talk about like not to go all feminist um but like when you talk about like m- like moms in the workplace and like mom being an entrepreneur and like a single founder it's like it has it comes with different constraints and different things. And it's like, it's always an interesting situation when you try to combine all of this together. Um, But also, thankfully, since COVID, we can actually do it from home, which has been which has been easier to a certain extent and harder from other from other uh, areas.
0: Yeah, I think the topic of like, just like being a woman, is just a very difficult thing to be. Um, I saw this stat this morning actually just a very depressing stat. It was showing the rate of um, basically I'm feeling sad or hopeless um, kind of thing for teens. And it's all going up, right, which is not good, Um, particularly over the last, I call it five years. But then what was crazy was it was like double women versus men, double that feeling. It was like men were like 30% and uh, women, you know, high schoolers specifically uh, were, uh, you know, like 55%. It was like crazy. I'm like, holy shit. Like more than half of the women in high school feel sad or hopeless. Like that's crazy. Crazy. Um, I think the expectations around like you have to be a partner at the law firm and be at the PTA meetings and be a great mom and maintain a household and, you know, like all of these things um, are just not realistic, right? You can't – you have to make choices and you have to choose – the things you want to do, and by choosing certain things, you are not choosing other things um yeah, I don't know it was it was a shocking statistic to come across,
1: yeah, and I think you're touching a really interesting subject because i i, I to- totally agree with you, but I would also say that it's like I think Gen Zers are struggling more than any other previous generation. they're also the smartest mm-hmm. from any other generation, but they have all this information that like you and I didn't have access to. Uh um completely like they have every possible access and they can be educated on every possible topic but in a very subjective way so they you know they go on tiktok and they go on youtube and that's how the average teen is being educated like they do some twitter as well but like the the most like every teen i spoke to would spend you know during school days two hours outside of school days Probably about four to sometimes even six hours a day on TikTok, um, and they're Crazy. getting incredibly educated from this platform. Uh-huh. But what kind of education they're getting? Because at first, it's a very subjective education. None of it is objective. Uh-huh. It's all from the eyes of somebody who doesn't really necessarily know what they're talking about. And second uh-huh. of all, they didn't really have the opportunity because of COVID to experience a lot of real, a lot of like real life events. So the result of it is a generation that is incredibly educated and very street smart because they're learning from other people's street smart skills. With that Mm -hmm. being said, like very emotionally undeveloped. And that's causing so many issues from cancel culture to like mean girls culture in like high school to different things that are just, it's sometimes can be really, really hard and really challenging. Um, and you know, they're struggling as a result of it in a big way. And that's like, one of the main reasons why we put so much emphasis on mental health, and that we try to do as much as we can to support them also. And like, like, we have resources on our website for mental health. And this is something that we talk on our social on, I would say at least two to three times a week, because, like, it's a lot of it is also like, not even understanding a lot of tips and tricks that could help you get through a lot of situations. Um, So we try, we try to like support as much as we can, but it's like, it's a generation that has very, very challenging lives because of all these different things. And because of the pandemic and because of all these social media that is actually so much, it takes such a bigger part of their lives than it was when we were teens, you know, like I grew up with yep. Facebook. But it was like Facebook with friends of mine, you know, like I I truly built a connection through Facebook, like, I added all my friends as like, um as friends, I saw the pictures that they're posting, like now it's about like, seeing certain interests that we, you have on the different content platforms, and being educated about all these subjects, when sometimes you're scrolling through a lot of things that a 13 year old shouldn't be seeing or you know, listening to.
0: Yeah, for sure. The topic of like unlimited access to information is an interesting one, right? Because, you know, inherently you assume that has to be good. Um, and I think in a lot of ways it is right. Like, you know, you're no longer, if you're trapped, uh, you know, with only a small amount of, you know, say you're in a small town in a small village, you know, with very limited access to information. Now you can access anything in the world. And that has very powerful educational effects. But I think very specifically, if you look at that, again, that kind of hopelessness study, it was like pretty flat, like through our years, it was about the same. Like it didn't change much, like up, down, up, down, up, down. And it was like the last, call it 10 years or so, that like it's jumped by 50%. Um, And in some ways, I think that I had um, not given... The topic, uh, the attention, I had kind of assumed like, okay, you know, this is just the next thing, right? Like, okay, mental health, everybody's latching onto it. Brands are latching onto it. It's just like, it hasn't been talked about very much. And so this is the new topic that gets everybody's attention, but it is actually like a very real issue on a very large scale. Like I cannot, I just like, it's just shocking that half of the women in high school in the U S are feeling sad or hopeless. Like that is a crazy step more than half. Um, and that's up 50% in the last 10 years, 15 years. Like that's nuts.
1: Nuts. And um, I think it's like the fact that they can suddenly know what, what it means and how it feels like, and to put a, you know, headline to what they feel and a title to it. Um, and that is something that is also like makes so many people come. And like, we see this in the community saying like, yeah, I I definitely have depression or I definitely have anxiety, which are things that I, when like when I was younger, like it wasn't even it wasn't even a topic because we didn't really knew what it means, you know?
0: Yeah. When you get com- into comparisons as well. Like I think that's the thing that's kind of like another one. We're getting so deep on this topic. I want to get back to bubble after this. But uh, you know, So this other study that was looking very specifically at kind of dating culture, um, you know, in a world in which most people are doing uh, online dating these days. And the way it affected things, and this is going back to men, um, but there are effects that happen here as well, is like the upper quartile of men as like rated from an attractiveness perspective um, have seen a significant increase in the number of dates in their life. But like the bottom half or bottom three quarters of the kind of male population has dropped off dramatically right because as a you know as a um a woman or as a man frankly you can go swipe left swipe right swipe left swipe. you have an unlimited supply right almost and um how does that affect behavior right and how does that ultimately affect um you know uh everybody that's not in the top 25 percent from an attractiveness perspective um so anyways Okay. Let's get back to bubble really quickly. So, um, and I do want to talk about the kind of mental health aspects of that, because really I think acne is a huge mental health issue. I mean, I remember when I was in college, I had, you know, I would break out and be like, I'm just not going outside today. I'm going to take a couple days and I'm going to sit in my room. Like I literally wouldn't leave my house because I was like so stressed about it. And I look back, I'm like, that was so crazy. Like, I can't believe that's how I felt, but that was how I felt. Um, so let's talk about the brand and (laughs) Um, you know, what's the question that I want to ask? So in launching the brand, like, and dealing with those, you know, helping people to deal with those issues, what have been some of the biggest kind of light bulb moments and times in which you saw kind of the impact that you were having with the educational material? Um, or just honestly being somebody that they can text?
1: Um, so it's been actually really, really interesting. I think it's been a combination of a lot of different things. I think it was in the first focus groups way before we launched a brand. This is like 2018, 2019. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like I've been sitting in a room with them and I came to this focus groups with like so many assumptions, right? You come into this and like as an entrepreneur, And know it all entrepreneur. You come into
0: this. (laughs) I know
1: exactly what they think. I know exactly what they're using. I know exactly what they're excited about. I know exactly where they shop. Like, let's just ensure that we can, you know, just
0: check the boxes. Check the boxes and
1: see that this is what. And then I came into this the first focus group, and I remember calling one of our advisory boards, who's still like one of our closest advisors. And I called him after, and I was like, I was like, everything I said was completely wrong. I had no idea what I was talking about. They're not using what I think. They're not chopping where I think. Like, it's not all of this. Like, we could start from scratch, essentially, of all the assumptions <laughs> because it looks completely different. And because I, I had this perspective of, like, being a millennial and knowing millennials, I was like, you know, they have access to all the DTC brands. They're, like, all about Glossier. They use all the drunk elephants in the world. You know, like, they're buying in Sephora, like, I had all these different perspectives of like, I know exactly who they are, where they shop because it's, you know, Gen Zers. Like, of course they're the extreme version of millennials, but no, yep. Gen Zers are the complete opposite of millennials, but I didn't know it then. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm coming into these focus groups and I'm like, hi. And like, and like showing them coming, like taking out of my bag, like a drunk elephant product. And they're like, oh, this is really cool. I've never seen this before. This is really, really cool. And I'm like thinking in my head,
0: like what? Do they not
1: know <laughs> How do they not know Drunk Elephant? Like I thought they're all using Drunk Elephant. Um, And, and then like, like starting to speak to them and like understanding what they think and what they're using. And then like, all I hear is Neutrogena and Cetaphil and clean and clear and Neutrogena and Cetaphil, clean and clear, a little bit of proactive, but like Neutrogena was then like the biggest one. Now it's CeraVe, but like then it was like Neutrogena in a big, big, big way. And I'm like coming out of the first focus group and thinking to myself, why would they still use Neutrogena? How could that make sense? Like, yeah,
0: totally. All these
1: these beautiful brands. Like when you look and like, I looked in deeply into like the beauty uh, industry landscape of like indie brands and you see like 400 brands and like so many different options. And it's like.
0: And they're all for us. They're for people with disposable income. that can drive themselves to Sephora and Ulta and like, yeah
1: exactly and they're you know they're made for people who over the age of 25 that can spend an x amount of money per product and also are you know looking for anti-aging products and and then that's when i realized like this entire industry has been focused in the last four to five years solely on millennials nobody even thought for a second that there is a generation a huge category that is still buying in like Walmart and Target and CVS, that yep. is still, you know, that is, doesn't have a disposable income, that are looking, that they don't know much about skincare. They definitely don't have it accessible to them. And it's like, when I started researching, like 24% of teens were using Neutrogena. 24% that's crazy. and yeah. it's like, you know, it's it's such a, so, so that's when, that was like a major light bulb moment of like understanding, okay definitely it's a whole nother category and then to just like in in our community and talking to them also like understanding where they shop and the fact that like they feel intimidated in Sephora they feel like yeah. um they're being judged like that it's too expensive for them and then when you talk to them about where they actually shop like the fact that 41% of them are actually in Walmart 3 to 4 times a month that they love buying in yeah. Target you know that this is something that they well, and they
0: often don't have credit cards to buy online, right? Like, so you know, they we're go with their parents on the trip to Target and like, hey, okay, pick out some stuff that you want, right?
1: Exactly. And like that they don't have a driving license. And then like it was it was really interesting because like obviously we were we had a community throughout. So we saw how from knowing nothing about skincare and being extremely focused in makeup, because like 2019 was all about makeup. And cosmetics and all about like beauty tutorials and like they they were obsessed then with James Charles and jeffree Star. That's what they uh. all heard about. And they knew nothing about skincare. They knew nothing about you know like ingredients. They knew nothing about you know what is the right ingredients. Like niacinamide was a word that I would say ninety nine point nine percent of Gen Zers didn't even know that existed. And like now. Every teen is like, oh, it has nice cinamide in this. I'm so excited, you know, like this <laughs> is a whole a whole new thing. Um, so we, we we throughout the pandemic, like we saw how everything and the narrative is changing to skincare, and how everyone is being extremely educated into skincare, and like how has that shifted again? You know, in the last, I would say six to twelve months, because again, like people are not as excited about skincare as they were a year and a half ago. So not in terms of like not excited about using the products, like they're all still using products, but rather than like, you know, the skin fluencers that used to be huge a year and a half ago, now like makeup is getting a lot of the, um, a lot of the attention again. And like, they're much more interested in like, you know, experiencing makeup and like playing with it and, and all these elements. So a lot of like different light bulb moments of like understanding how much I don't understand over, of Gen Z, how much. their shopping behavior and their shopping patterns are completely different and also the need of like when we enter this we knew that there's not a brand like this out there that like nobody's Uh what Uh we're doing and even like brands that are affordable and are selling in big big box retailers are still very much targeted towards millennials and gen x like they're not necessarily gen z focused so so we we saw this as like really amazing opportunity to create something that is so much better for them. Um, so that that's like, I would say like the two elements. And like, I think that point was also the point that I understood in a big way that we, in order to keep up with them, we have to listen to them and that we have to make them a part of the brand and their conversation in the biggest way possible. And And like, we talk about it with them because we have like constantly Zoom calls with them. And I constantly say like, this is something, everything, every feedback you have, please share with me. Because we really honestly think that you know best. So I want to listen to everything you have to say. Um, and that was also because cause like we see how the world is shifting and like how with, you know, Gen Zers, what was relevant a year ago is no longer relevant. And what was relevant six months ago or three months ago is also no longer relevant. So like the only way to keep up with what's happening is to listen. Um, so very like a, a lot of major light bulb moments in like the process of listening to them and just like the biggest learning curve for me was like always assume you know nothing because that's the only way you're truly going to understand your consumers
0: yeah i think it's one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneur entrepreneurs make is like just assuming they know right like oh i know this category right and There's a, you obviously know like Y Combinator, right? But like Y Combinator, for those that don't know, is um, it's a tech accelerator. They launched Stripe, which is worth tens of billions of dollars, Airbnb, a ton of others, incredibly successful. And, you know, one of the things they talk about is just like, talk to your users, just talk to them all the time. And I, I saw somebody making fun of it on Twitter, basically saying like, Y Combinator's big unlock was getting like you know, engineers who only sit in front of their computer to talk to people. That was the big unlock was just like, just go talk to people. Like, and then um, there's another company called Woofoo, and it was great. They killed it. Like one of the best returns of all time from an investor perspective on a percentage basis and, you know, only engineers on the team. But what they did was they made each engineer had to do customer service, like, you know, once a week. And then what happened is they're hearing all these complaints like, oh my God, like how, how are we still, like, we, I have to fix this, right? And so it's uh, it's such a big unlock, just, like, constantly talking to people. Um, I anyways, I could talk about that for for many, many, uh, for, for, like, a couple hours. So let's talk. Um, one other topic that I think is really interesting is, you know, what we see commonly with retailers today, whether it's Walmart or Sephora or Ulta or Target or whoever, is you know they want to bring in a brand that already has a presence right so you know the more the historical model was the bubble model which is like you create a beautiful brand you launch it in retail that's how you get to be well known and then you go from there but i think more commonly what's happened is people are building brands direct to consumer right they show traction they learn and then they launch in retail so i'd love to know kind of one you know, how did you get into contact with Walmart in the first place? Like, how did you get their attention? Right. That's the real thing. Um, two, what were the challenges of launching in store, um, before you really had, I know you had a, you know, you had, you had some presence, but before you really had the same kind of presence, um, that a lot of others have when they launch. Um, would love to know about like kind of that, that time period, how you got in there and then what the early stages were like before, you know, you show up on the shelves, like who is this brand? I've never heard of them before.
1: So actually it's an interesting question because I kind of think that we did do the 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 first thing you said, which is to like oh you did? Okay traction okay. and then be in retail, but it was like so fast paced. So like so fast paced gotcha. like not okay. in a way that I've ever imagined. So the entire approach was like we know in order to become the category leader, we will have to be in retail. But you know, I did an interview a day before of our before our launch, and I was like, our goal is to be in, um, in like literally om- almost every drugstore within uh, or, or like different retailers in 12 to 24 months. Because I was like, okay, it's going to take forever. It's going to be, you know, it's going to take some time. And then we launched and, and launch was like this massive explosion um, in a really beautiful way. Like, again, we were, I think we were, we were shocked by a lot of things. And one of the main things was like the brand awareness that we've managed to get to, in a very short period of time within our target demo. So we got to brand mm-hmm. awareness of I would say close to thirty percent within three months um Whoa. yeah it was it was really like within between ages of like thirteen to eighteen, we got to like around thirty percent in three months. It was insane, um, and we had you know like on week one, we had over fifty five thousand followers on Instagram, you know, like it was wow it was okay. just and like for a brand that is we obviously used a lot of celebrities, but we weren't a celebrity founded brand. I think with celebrity-founded brands, it's a lot more common to see this. But it's, like, yep. for a non-celebrity-founded brand, like, this was, like, a very, a very big shock for us. Um, and and we launched. And we had this beautiful launch with, like, the fill Day video that we've done. And then on week one, we had, like, three different retailers reaching out to us. Week oh, two, wow. We had another three different retailers reaching out to us. And, like, we found ourselves in the first – two weeks with literally almost every retailer in the country reaching out to us um and I and I remember like talking to one of our investors and like sending her screenshots of um of our like every outreach that we got and it was just like you know I was just like getting it so I texted it to her immediately and I didn't even understand what it means right because like you know first time dealing with this I don't come from the beauty industry I come from tech and like I come from B2C like very, very different world, um and like suddenly having all these we had an opportunity actually, like if we would have said yes to all the retailers that reached out to us, we would have been in twelve thousand doors in year one.
0: whoa, um, yeah, that's a lot, <laughs> yeah,
1: so, yeah, so it was like insane, so. So yep. We found ourselves needing to like to dive into like understanding every retailer and their business model and how they work and like, how can we be successful there and what other brands they carry and how does it look like on the shelf and all of that stuff. Um, but it's really been kind of the fast pace of like, okay, we've been for eight months on D2C and then we launched in um, in retail in 3- 3,800 stores. Um, yep. and, and it was also a big decision because, you know, like usually like not a lot of D2C brands go to Walmart first back then i think now it's getting more and more common but then it was like it was only seven months ago but like so much has changed in that seven months um so so it's been like this whole process of like understanding and diving deep into which retailers um can really have we'll we'll have our consumers where do they actually shop how can we ensure that it really looks best on the shelf how can we ensure that we really create the connection Um, So it's been a very fast paced process. And we've actually signed the Walmart deal um, three months after we launched the brand. So like two and a half months after we launched the brand. So it's been.
0: Yeah. They occurred so close together. I assumed that it had to be planned in advance, but uh, that's really cool. That's And not, not uh, common. So for those other entrepreneurs out there, don't expect that to happen normally. Yeah, no. and
1: And like, with that being said, like, I would say that it's like, on the other hand, we were shocked because our conversion rate was so much lower than we've ever expected. And the reason for this is because, like, I had, again, this assumption that teens are very, and Gen Zers are very, like, they will very likely go and purchase online. And then the other revelation that we had in the first four weeks is, like, all the messages we got on customer support is like, when are you coming to retail? When are you coming to stores? Because uh... they don't
0: want to buy
1: online. Like they're not interested in buying online. So it, it all came together in a really, really beautiful way. And like now our entire strategy is like, we call ourselves, we're the new wave of D2C. It's a different yeah. structure. And the way we look at it is like, we are a brand that communicates and build brand awareness and builds the brand love on D2C. But the purchase actually happens in a store. And I also like, my entire approach is that I actually prefer to get people to buy in a store rather than buy online, because when they buy in a store, they we don't you know, like they don't have all that waste in the process of like shipping and, and the package and the stickers and the order bag and they get it immediately instead of waiting for three days. And, you know, it's like yep. we still want to have the con- we still want to own the conversation with the consumer we still want the consumer to know that they're, that we're here for them. We still want to be able to, you know, to advise them on their skincare and their skin and like provide support and like mental health and all of that stuff. But we want to send them to stores. So it's like this combination between like the D2C, the old days of D2C of like, let's just communicate and build online to being solely in, in retail. And that had like, So many interesting experiences and challenges with Walmart because it was the first time that Walmart had to deal with something like this. Um, So it's been it's been very very interesting from a launch process and also had a lot of learnings as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, two things that stand out there about what you said um, is first, you know, people always assume, you know, there was this narrative like, oh, the margins are way better direct to consumer, right? You get to keep all the margins, you do all these things. It's like, well. It turns out like Walmart's pretty good at supply chain. They're pretty good at distribution. (laughs) Like there's not like a lot of fat you're cutting out there by shipping it individually yourself. And most people aren't fully loading it. They're not including the cost of their developers and the website and the pay. Like they're not fully loading it into the actual margin profile. And then, so that's like the first thing is like, it's not as good as people think. And then the second thing is if I have to hear one more time about how Oh, I need to prove out the ROI of my influencer program by using like an affiliate code or affiliate link or discount code and being like, oh, that's the value. I'm like, I'm gonna fucking scream. Like, I'm gonna scream. Like, how are you so fucking stupid? Right? Like, you like, and on top of that, like, anyways, just it's like in some ways, right? The ability to be able to track everything online is great, right? But where it can get really lost is when people are unsophisticated or they don't understand how consumer, how buying behavior works. You go, okay, well, you know, I'm spending all this money on gifting with influencers and I'm working with them, etc. But uh, but you know, I'm not seeing a lot of it like directly convert on my website like right after it gets posted. And it's like that's just not that's not how consumers work, right? Like, oh wow, that's a really cool brand. I want to go check that out later when I'm shopping for skincare. Oh wow. You know, I've heard about this brand like six different times from six different people I know. Now I'm going to go check it out, right? Like, anyways. um, I'm also
1: going to say, and I totally agree because this is something we talk about internally and like also externally all the time. Because the days that you had one influencer and they would generate, you know, hundreds of purchases are over. And it's not over because influencers don't work. It, it's over because a consumer doesn't need to see you two to three times anymore to make a purchase decision, but rather they need to see you seven, eight, and nine times before they make a purchase decision. And influencers is such a massive part in brand awareness. And again, like with influencers and celebrities, we got to brand awareness of over 30%, which is yep. like, like, and this is now ages of like 13 to 23. One out of three of 13 to 23 year olds in the US knows about bubble only you know a year and a bit after we launched and the only reason of that is because of influencers with that being said like they will probably need to see us multiple times again to really make a purchase decision and that's the whole thing around the j-curve as well around brands that people don't understand that it's like it starts it starts it starts and then like when a lot of consumers see you multiple and multiple and multiple times then you start seeing like this massive curve going up it's like It doesn't happen instantly. And a single influencer is not going to give the decision. Like it's a massive part of your awareness building, massive part. Like the best way to build awareness today is with influencers. With that being said, like you can't tie that to specific conversion anymore because that's not how the world works anymore. And that's not how the world is.
0: Yeah. I, the thing I always, that kind of connects with people, it's like, If I want to watch a TV show, it takes like three of my friends, maybe four, to directly recommend it to me, right? Like before I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. There's just, there is so many, there are so many demands for your attention and so many opportunities to spend your time, money, attention in different places. It takes a really strong pull, right? It takes multiple connections and usually multiple times from those connections. Um, Okay. So I'm starting to ask for too much of your time. So let's get to a fun kind of end of show question. So we talked about hobbies a little bit, Um, and you said no hobbies. (laughs) But if you could have a hobby, like if there's something like that's the hobby I want to have, but I don't take the time or spend the time to do it, what would it be? Or maybe it's none. Maybe it's zero.
1: Reading books, for sure. Like that's the thing. I used to be able to do that before my daughter was born, and like ever since then, like nothing. And I miss it dearly and deeply. Um, that's, that's like, I would say the main thing that I miss really, really, really badly. Um, I kind of, I'm really, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
0: Wait, no, what were you going to say?
1: No, just that like, I'm waiting for my daughter to like read really, really well. So we could start reading books together and it could be like a joint experience because like I miss it so bad and like, I just can't find the time to do it or like even the mindset to get into it.
0: Yeah, I am really good at buying books. I buy a lot of books now. And i like, I'll read these sometime. And like, yeah, but no, I, once we had kids, that's one that really went out the door. And uh, I remember talking to my father-in-law and he had a lot of books, you know, out and he's done very well. And I was like, "Oh, like you know, like how much you do you read these days?" He's like, "None." Like, "Oh, like just." I'm like, "Does that just go away?" And he's like, "Yeah, it (laughs) kind of does." Like, I powered through so many business books, so many. I actually like kind of did almost purely nonfiction during the entire time that Tribe was started because I was so afraid we were going to fail. But uh, it's just like now, I just buy them and I look at them and I'll read a few pages, and I'll get sad that I didn't read it. But that's about. (laughs)
1: That's I, exactly. It's also yeah. like entering a certain mindset that I'm just incapable of entering in the last five years, you know, like entering a mindset of like, actually, okay, this is a moment that I take for myself. Like, this just doesn't exist anymore.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a big transition that you have yeah. as a parent. Um, well, Shai, I'm so appreciative of you taking out the time and dealing with all of my shenanigans to kick off this, uh, podcast, <laughs> but, uh, I am very impressed with your success and I'm very thankful for Melanie Bender who recommended you to the show. Um, and also, I don't know if you know this, but we actually had one of our investors who has his LPs in Israel asked us to evaluate you guys a long time ago, which is kind of funny to see it come full circle now and uh yeah so congrats again thank you so much for taking the time i know i learned a lot and i think uh, other people did as well
1: same and thank you i really appreciate being here this was so much fun i uh, really enjoyed it thank you for having me
0: of course right. bye shy hit subscribe now earned
1: by tribe dynamics tribe dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at Tribedynamics.com. Tribedynamics.com.